So Judges 6, 33 to 7, 23. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abezerites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. That's, that's one of the tribes of Judah. It's a region of um, Israel. And they, were, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun and Naphtali, the, the other tribes in Israel. And they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. In all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And the ground, there was dew. Then Jerubbabel, you remember Gideon's been given this nickname. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod. And the camp of Midian were north of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. How's he saying that? The too many. There's too many. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone who, of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone who, of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, will not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to the water to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. It started with uh, 32,000 men, now left with 300, and God says, those 300 I will use. And he sent the rest of, the, uh, of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. He said, But if you're afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. When he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outpost of, of the armed men who were in the camp, and the, 
Then, sorry, then he went down. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance and their camels without number as, he, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came back, behold, sorry, when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat and his comrade answered this is no other than the sword of Gideon the son of Joash a man of Israel God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp as soon as Gideon heard these tellings the telling of the dream and its interpretation he worshipped And he returns to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided 300 men, the 300 men, into three companies of 100 each and put trumpets into all the hands and empty jars with torches into the other hand. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpets, and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and and the hundred men who were with him uh, came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch uh, when they had just set the watch. And they blew their trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held out their hands and the torches in their right hands and the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his, uh, in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade. This is the, the enemies, the invading army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, towards Zerath, as far as the border of Abel. These names are hard, uh, by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us uh, this afternoon as we come to this scripture, that you would show us again uh, what it is you want to show us, that you would instruct us both individually in our own lives and our own walk with you, but also as a church together as we seek to be faithful to you and full of faith with regards to the things that you've called us to. So Lord Jesus, I just pray right now over myself and my friends here that we would be receptive to all you have to say to us today. Amen. Amen. So, so, so far, just to, to fill us in on where we are in the story so far, Gideon, uh, sorry, the Israelites have, been, have, been, have turned away from God. So we're in the book of Judges and we see, when we've said the book of Judges, it's, it's a bit of a repetitive book in many ways because what happens is that Israel has fallen into this pattern of turning away from God and then God... They, and then falling into the, what, what happens when you turn away from God, which means you, you fall into all the mess of the world. And then they cry out to God and God raises up somebody to rescue them and bring them back to him. And then the same thing happens over and over and over again. And so we're kind of in the middle of one of those stories in the, in the book of Judges. And what's happened is the people of God have turned away from God. They've worshipped other gods. They've worshipped false gods. They've, they've, uh, they've forgotten the one who rescued them out of Egypt. And they've turned away from him. And so 
God gives the people of Israel over to their enemies, the Midianites, who we're told are like locusts. You know, I don't know if you've seen, I think it was a couple of years ago on the news, there was that, that great locust swarm that, that appeared and, and just, just swept over nations and just would eat vast acres and acres and acres of, of land, of, of crops, so that there was no food left for people. And, and the Bible describes these invading armies as locusts. They, they just come and they just devour everything. And the people of God cry out, Lord, would you rescue us? And God comes to Gideon, who is the lowest of the low. He is, he is the smallest of his family, which is the smallest in his clan, which is the smallest in the, tribe of, in the, in the smallest tribe of Israel. And so he's just some, why would you pick me? And yet we see that God comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, peace. And we remember we said that that was, that was the big issue, that the Lord wasn't with Israel. But there, right then in that moment, in the, in the wine presses, Gideon is fearful and trembling of the invading army. God comes and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And through you, I will redeem and rescue Israel. And then we see, last week, when we, when we continued the story, we saw that the, the, the big issue, remember the big issue that was facing Israel wasn't the invading army. The big issue that was facing Israel was the fact that they turned away from God. And that, that was the thing that God needed to deal with. That was the thing that God needed to deal with. And so last week we saw the first thing that Gideon's called to immediately after he's met with God and he said, I'm going to use you to rescue Israel, is you need to overturn and destroy the idols and the false worship and the false gods that have entered into my people. And so last week we looked at what that means in terms of how, how God uses, uh, how God is willing to, to come and intervene and, and wants to to make sure that our eyes are on him. We don't want to have false idols, false gods in, in our lives. And so we see that in the story. You know, he, uh, God wants to return Israel to right relationship with him. He wants to return Israel to correct worship, to obedience and to faith. Interestingly, in, in the Bible, um, the, those, those phrases, when it's teaching into obedience, you know, obeying God, walking with God, and faith, believing God, trusting God, leaning on God, in relationship with God, those two things are tightly woven together. You cannot obey God. You know, some people, this is their view of religion. It's just, here's the list of rules, obey it. You can't do that unless you believe God and receive him. In fact, there are times when you're reading the New Testament, you're thinking, are we talking about obedience or are we talking about faith? And you realise, actually, yes, we are. We're talking about both. And that Paul, as he sums up his ministry, the Paul, that great apostle, he talks about my role is to call the Gentiles, the people of the world, the nations of the world, to the obedience of faith. To believe, to believe, to belong to Christ and to obey. That's, that is the core. And that is the real issue that needs to be dealt with in Israel. And so even as we kind of go through this story, we're going to see that God, that's what God is doing even as he's rescuing them from the invading army. I'm, what I'm dealing in you is, is I want you to trust in me. I want you to lean on me. I want you to, I want you to have a relationship with me. I don't, it's not just about just worshipping in the right way or in the right place or at the right altar or whatever or going to the right church. It's about relationship with me and trusting me. And that's what God is going to do as he does, as we see the story continue. One of the things that we've seen and that stands out throughout this story is Gideon's fear and his weakness. As I say, he's the, he's the least of the least. Right? He's, he is consistently doubting God. He is consistently afraid. 
and he's consistently just comes across as quite a weak character. You know, Gideon, although he's, you know, he features quite heavily in this story, that's fair enough to say. Although he features quite heavily in the story, it's hard to look at this story and go, Gideon is the hero here. It's hard to look at this story and say, Gideon is the hero, and he's the one who's come to rescue. And yet, God chooses to use him to rescue and restore Israel. And I think that's that's one of the things that I really hope that has been coming out to us again and again as we've been through this series, is that God is able and he is willing to use us even in our weakness. He is able and willing to use us, right? Us, even weak and foolish us, in our weakness as he used Gideon. In fact, it's not just despite our weakness that God is able to use us, right? I'm weak, but God's strong, and so he's able to cover my weakness and and still use me. No, God actually loves to use weakness to do amazing things. It comes out, uh, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about actually my, he says uh, this, let me actually just read it to you. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, Paul complaining of his weakness, saying, my, and then he said, God said to me, I prayed to God to take away my weakness. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Paul, recognizing how God loves to use the weaknesses, our weaknesses to do amazing things, doesn't just say, wow, thank you, God, that you're able to use me despite my weakness. He says, actually, that leads me to boast in my weakness. Literally, the word is revel in. Like, oh, oh you get me talking about my weakness, you're not gonna, I'm not going to shut up. I'm just going to keep going. Because God is able to use my weakness. So we, one of the things that I really hope that comes up again and again and again as we go through this story is we cannot disqualify ourselves. In fact, God loves to use us. You think, you're, you think you know, you, I'm, I'm not the cleverest one here, or I'm, I'm not the strongest one here, or I'm not the most gifted person here. So what? God loves to use the weak and the foolish to shame the wise and the strong. He loves to demonstrate his strength through our weakness. In fact, I, 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 it, it's encouraging for us as individuals, but it's encouraging for us as Freedom Church. Right? You look across this room and you think about all the people who are outside. You know, we feel like a small group of people, and yet God says, it is through this group of people that I'm going to transform North Hull and the regions beyond. God has called us to wonderful things. The promises, you look through Scripture, you see the promises over God's church, and you realise, and you look around the room, and you think, is this... Is this really what God's talking about here? The answer is yes. Yes, I will use this group of people to transform the nations. And that's the call. That's the call. And it's wonderful. It stirs faith. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, the writer to Hebrews, he he refers only briefly to Gideon, actually, the story of Gideon. So this is in the New Testament. He's writing to the Jews. He just refers to a number of stories in the Old Testament. And he says, these stories were written as examples to you of faith. Right? Examples to follow. They highlight, and so he kind of highlights these different stories and he points them and he says, 
look, there's a lesson to be learned here. And that's kind of what we're doing as we look at the story of Gideon. There are lessons for us to learn. He kind of has this passing phrase as well, the writer to Hebrews, he says, how they were made strong out of weakness. And it's hard not to think that he has Gideon in mind as he writes that line. He, the Lord, through, the, through faith, makes the weak strong. He makes uh, strength out of weakness. And there's just a wonderful, comforting thing there. But what's amazing is those things, those stories aren't just given to us as examples. These stories, the story of Gideon is not just given to us as an example, but actually we're told that, um, that there is something far better for us. It's amazing to think that this is, that God, as, even as these events are unfolding, thinks ahead to 2023 and thinks, I want to use this to encourage Neil I want to use this to encourage Wendy and Clive. I want to use this to encourage Freedom Church. In the mind of God, all the way back then, he was thinking, as these events were unfolding, I want to encourage these people. I want to demonstrate who I am, what I'm like. But more than that, we're told in Hebrews 11, all of these things, all of these, talking about these people like Gideon, other people in these stories, they were commended. They were lifted up for their faith. Well done for your faith. They did not receive the full promise since God had provided something far better for us. So you look at how God used Gideon. You look at how God used these characters in the Old Testament. How he used Gideon in his weakness. And then you think, there is something far better for us. Because apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And so that's just something to hold in mind. As we hear this story, and we look at how God mightily used Israel, kind of these, this small group in Israel, and Gideon, the least of the least, you think, God did that there, and he has something far greater for me now. Just something to, to hold in your hearts. So the story kind of, we come into the story and we're told, all the Midianites and the Amalekites are numbered against Israel. That's how this, bit that, this passage that we read starts. There's the, the vast army of the enemy they are laid out like locusts or like grains of sand on the beach, we're told. Mighty and mighty. And they are, and there's sort of this building up of the enemy of like, this is them, the, the vast, vast army. Imagine the camera panning out across them and seeing, uh, the, 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 just filling the screen, the vastness of the army that is against us. Swarms, destructive, devouring everything that's in their path. And then we have this, but... But, all, so we have all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people came together, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Right. So here is the enemy, vast, numerous, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Now it's easy for us when we, when we, when we feel like all our enemies are lined up against us. We just feel surrounded by our problems, surrounded by this thing or that thing, whether it be health or money or, or family issues or, or whatever it might be. All of our problems laid out in front of us and they look intimidating. We remember the but, right? They, but the Lord clothed Neil in the spirit. The Lord clothed Suzella in the spirit. There they are, your enemies, laid out in front of you, clothed in the spirit of God. Ready. Now remember we, and Wendy referenced this, we did this series in... What it, you know, what does it mean to be clothed in the Spirit? We looked at what it meant to be the Spirit-filled church. You know, the enemies of the church are vast. You don't have to look hard to find them. 
You know, you go to some countries and Neil's prayed out about the uh, persecuted church. We know people who are in settings like that where actually they're, they're, the enemy is, is right there. But even, even still, even here, we know that there are powers and principalities that work against God's people. But we know that the Spirit of God dwells with his people. We know that he, he dwells with his people. That's, we talked about that as we w- went through that series of what it means to be the spiritual church, what it means that God himself dwells with his people. He is here in the room and he is with you when you leave here and you go out and you face those enemies and those, those things that are numbered against you. He's with you. He is with you. I remember we, we've, we've used this passage again and again. Romans 8, is, as Paul's saying, you know, if, if God is for us, who can stand against us? The answer is no one. If God is for us, if God has said, I am for you, I am with you, no other enemy can stand against you. No enemy can stand against you, as intimidating as they may seem. As, as, as much sleep as you might lose when you think of them. They will not overcome you. The Lord is for you. He is for you. There's a bit of an afterthought. So you have, here's the the army numbered against Gideon. Gideon clothed with the Spirit of God and the people came out to meet Gideon. Now, the the army of Israel, that 32,000 initially, come out to meet with Gideon and to follow him. God is going to show that our eyes should be on the Spirit of God clothing Gideon rather than the 32,000 who joined him. Because right? you look at that and you go, okay, here's the army of the enemy and here's the army of God. Actually, God's saying, no, the, the thing that matters is that the Spirit of God is clothing Gideon, is covering Gideon, is with Gideon. The, I'm going to strip away this army. I'm going to take this army away to make sure that your eyesight is on, on this, that I'm here, not that the 32,000 are. Gideon, he, true to character, is a bit wobbly. Right? He, he feels a bit wobbly. He says, uh, verse 36, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. Right? God has already said it to him again and again. I will save Israel by your hand. He's already proven it. He's already shown, demonstrated himself to Gideon. And yet Gideon is still able to say, If, if you w- really will save uh, Israel by my hand, then he puts out this, he, he tests God. He lays out the fleece. He puts out the fleece and says, God, okay, I dew in the morning. I know how dew works. Comes down in the morning, the ground is wet. Says, but, but Lord, if you're really going to, if you're really going to save Israel through me, just make the, the wool wet and the ground dry. And God does it. And the next day, Gideon goes, I could, I could kind of do with more help. Again, true to form, still wobbly, still frail. He says, now, can it be the other way around? The, the, the sheepskin dry and the ground wet. God graciously uh, does the same thing. Now, it's very it's interesting that, that, that Gideon's wobble now comes when the army joins him. When he has an army, 32,000 people looking to him, that's when his heart starts to wobble. Now, it's, it's very easy to be at a Christian conference or to uh, have um, an amazing worship service or to hear a, a really exciting sermon and go yes we're going to take the world or yes the Lord has called me to this or yes I'm, uh, God is with me and we're going to overturn our enemies but then as soon as the sort of the, the, the distant call I suppose becomes an immediate reality of right now, now is the time now there are people looking to me now something is happening, now there's some movement, that's when our hearts can begin to wobble 
And it's something that we all feel at different times. There are moments when we think, yes, we could, I could take on the world. I heard that sermon, I could take on the world. I went to that conference, I could take on the world. And then you step out of the doors and suddenly Monday morning comes and there it is, the, the thing that's been troubling you. And again, you begin to wobble. And what's amazing is God meets Gideon in his weakness. And he brings comfort and assurance. He brings comfort and assurance. Now, Gideon's fleece thing is not an example for us to follow. It's not held up as a good thing. Right? We're told in the Bible, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? There's just, it's just not a, it's not, it's not a healthy relationship with God that Gideon has. And yet God still graciously uses it to train Gideon in faith. To, to, to continue to tra- uh, train him in faith. And the Lord does that. Right? He, he is willing to use our weakness to train us in faith. And he wants to do that. He wants to train us in faith. Um, David, you remember David and Goliath? By the time he comes to fight with Goliath, he's able to say to King Saul at the time, I've already done this with lions and with bears. I've already fought off lions and bears. And so who is this man that I should... It's like there's a, this kind of David having been trained in the presence of God for this very moment. And that's what's happening with Gideon here. Although Gideon is, you know, he seems to be, he's testing God. He's, there's, there's not much faith there. God is using the little faith that Gideon has to just draw out more. Right? Gideon comes with just a little bit of faith and a lot of fear. And God is working through that little bit of faith to produce more. He's exercising muscles that, that he's going to draw from on Gideon later. Again, he comes, he brings comfort and assurance, and he trains him for what he's calling him to. But then after Gideon has tested God, God returns the favour. Right? The men arrive, and you can imagine Gideon looking at these 32,000 and thinking, well, okay, we've got 32,000 here, that's, that's not bad, but there's literally innumerable enemy over there. I, I wish we had just a few th- tens of thousands more. And yet God comes and says, there's too many. You have too many. God has permitted Gideon to test him, but now God will test Gideon and his men in return. God says to um, Gideon, I, I don't want Israel to be able to boast over me. I don't want them to think that they rescued themselves. I want them to know that I rescued them. I don't want them to think that their strength was the thing that made them overcome their enemies. I want to show that it was me. And once again, remember, God is dealing with the key issue, which is Israel's lack of faith. It was Israel's lack of faith in God that led them to turn away to other gods. And, it, and Israel's lack of faith would lead them to look to the armies rather than to God to rescue them from their enemies. I tell you, as, as, as Christians, we can, so, we can so quickly do that. It might look like, you know, we accept Jesus into our lives, but then actually we think, I need to, I need to earn God's favour, actually. I need, to, I need to read my Bible like this, or I need to pray every day, and otherwise God's going to be angry with me, and if I do that, he's, he's not going to like me. And, and, he, and, and you can so quickly fall into that trap, can't you? And it's just, that's just, that's just not faith. That's not faith. And again, in, in, in the church, as we think about what God's called us to and, and how God's called us to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we can think, oh, well, actually, we could do this and we, we strategize this way and we think, okay, if 
uh, you know, uh, we've got some gifted speakers here, and we've got some gifting here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to apply for funding here, and we lean on all of our ideas and all of our, our gifts, rather than the God who enables us to go. And it would be so easy to do that. And it is. It's so easy to do that. But God wants to deal with our faith. He wants us to lean on him. So a mature Christian is not somebody who's learned to deal with, do without God. It's somebody who's leaning heavier, more and more heavily on God. That's the sign of maturity. It's not as I, as I grow up, I, you know, I'm, I'm more independent. The sign of Christian maturity is I become more dependent. So the sign of Christian maturity is recognising I just I lean on him. I just lean on him. And that's what God is trying to draw out and do in the, uh, in the, in the place of Israel. They've taken down false gods, but true faith leans on God. And as I say, at Freedom Church, we want to build not according to our strength, but, on God, but to God. And then, you know, Gideon sends away the scared ones. He sends away those 22,000 scared ones. God says, you know, anyone who's scared, send them away. And Gideon goes, oh, okay. And you think, maybe Gideon wants to join that group himself. <laughs> maybe he wants to leave with these guys. And they go, 22,000. And so Gideon goes, okay, we've got 10,000 men, but at least we know that these are the fearless ones. These are the, these are the bravest of the brave. We know that we've got the good ones. And then God says, actually, there's a few more I want to get rid of. <laughs> Let's go down to the river. They go down to the river and God says, you know, anyone who drinks like this, send away. Anyone who drinks like this, keep. And, he's, and Gideon is left with 300 men. And God winnows. He kind of cuts away and just, and just trims away at this army. Just so that Gideon would lean not on the army, but on him. And God sometimes is willing to do that in our lives. And some of you may have felt that at different times. How... how God is, it will remove something from you just to call you to become more and more dependent on him. He, he is willing to do that. Because God's aim is to stir faith and to make us more and more like him and to draw us into relationship with him. That's what he wants to do in the heart of every Christian. He wants to draw us to, to lean on him, to, to trust in him. And so he is willing, for the sake of that, to say, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to remove this thing from, you thought this thing was essential, whatever it might be, your, your home, your family, your money, you thought that was essential, let me just, so that you know that actually the, the one thing that is essential is me. Uh, there are times when I can point to in my own life where I feel like God's done that. He's, he has winnowed, chopped away, so that he, it would expose me to just trusting him. Um, there's Spurgeon, um, this is when I do this from memory. Spurgeon, he's, he, he writes this, you know, um, talking about those hard times in life. He says, Oh, blessed hurricane that drives me to the rock of ages. As those storms of life kind of throw you against God, the rock, who is firm and secure. God does that. He is willing to do that. And even in the story of freedom, you know, think about the you know, the, the couple of years that we've been going, and you think about how God has, has led us, and, and there are things that you think, oh, look, it looks like this is going to bear fruit, and then it doesn't, and you think, oh, what's, what's God doing there? And there's a clear kind of winnowing, so that we wouldn't trust in our efforts, or our abilities, or our projects, but on Him. And that's what He wants to do. He said, and he, then God points to those 300 and says, I will save you through these 300. Once again, wanting to emphasise 
It's not like, don't think it's going to be these amazing 300 men who are going to do it. Don't think it's going to be your great strategy, Gideon. I will do it. I will use these 300 men. It's wonderful that God, uh, although he wants to emphasize that I'm the one who's going to do it, he loves to use people to do the thing, to accomplish the things that he wants to do. And that's just a privilege. And you think about that, you know, Jesus, he says to his disciples at the end of his ministry, I mean, died and being resurrected and then he sends them out into the world and he says all authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore you think what's going to follow that therefore he's got all authority he says therefore go and he sends his disciples out into the world to, to preach the good news of jesus and you think surely jesus if you had all authority you would think of a better way to do what you want to do than to use me god says no i want to include you in what i'm doing I I want to include you in what I'm doing. I'm going to do it, but I want to include you. I want to bring you into what I'm doing. That is such a privilege for us as the church. So God says to Gideon, um, he says, uh, after winnowing, after cutting down, he says to Gideon, go down against the camp. He's saying, take your 300 men and go down against the camp. Then once again, God, who knows Gideon's heart, knows how weak and feeble he is, he says, but if you're still scared, if you're still scared, go down on your own with your servant and just hear what they're saying and then your hands will be strengthened for what I'm going to call you to do. He, he, God invites Gideon, go and t- says, go and take, he commands, go and take the army with your 300. But if you're scared... Come down. What I love about this is this, you know, before Gideon's initiated, right? He said, I'm scared. Prove to me, please, God, prove to me, please, that you're with me. But here, God says, he's the one who initiates, right? He knows what Gideon needs. He knows what we need. He says, looking at Gideon and his fear, he doesn't say to him, Gideon, come on. (laughs) I did that fleece thing for you twice. You still not believe me? I did that thing where I can, you brought out the offering, I burst into flames in front of you. Do you still not believe me? No, he doesn't do that. God's full of patience, full of grace. And knowing exactly what Gideon needs, says, Gideon, if you're still scared, if you go down now, I'll be with you. But if you're scared, come with me. Let me show you what's going on. And he leads him down with his servant. And Gideon here overhears this conversation. And there's something really comforting about that, to know that God... He's so committed to using us that he is willing to provide so, so patiently to, to, for our weakness. He is willing to cover our weakness again and again and again. And we need to know that God loves to comfort and stir faith in us through his words as we read it together in context like this and on our own. Through stories and through, you know, as we hear stories about what's going on around the world, we think, ah, oh, stirs faith. And as we encourage one another, God loves to just encourage one, uh, us through one another and through these kind of intimate moments. I've, I can point to times where God has, has done a similar thing in, with, in me, where he, it's been very clear that he's just led me somewhere just to, just let me just show you. Let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you what I'm doing. Even as I'm there wobbly, uh, he comes and gives me what I need to do the things that he's called uh, me to do and it's just a, a great encouragement so Gideon comes down he hears this dream the the the, uh, the guard has had this dream he kind of he's like you think he's just changed guard he's rubbing his eyes he's saying mate I had this dream 
that there was this little, um, I don't want to say the wrong word, bread cake, bread cake, yeah, yeah. bap, roll, no, bread cake, bread right. cake yeah. That's, it's actually biblical. Bread cake is biblical. If anyone's in that argument again, bread cake is here in the Bible. Um, but this, the, the dream is that this little bread cake comes rolling down the hill and destroys the camp of Midian, destroy, overturns the tent. And the interpretation from the other guard is, that's Gideon. That's Gideon. God has given uh, us over into his hand. The significance of the bread is just, you know, it's, it's just an ordinary thing. On every dinner table, rich or poor, it's there. Gideon, ordinary guy. There's, you know, we kind of see how the battle goes, but you know, ordinary guy, ordinary man, small, and yet God uses them mightily. And Gideon hears this and his response is to worship. He worships the Lord immediately. And then after worshipping, he goes and actions. So the battle day, the day the battle comes, he call, Gideon calls his, the army now, those 300. He says, this is what we're going to do. And he gives them a trumpet in one hand. He gives them a torch and hides it away in a, in a jar. Now suddenly this picture makes sense. Um, and, they, and they go, trumpet in one hand, torch in the other and he says, when I give a sh- cry, you break the jar, the torch will shine, you blow the trumpet and you cry for the Lord and for Gideon. And they go and they do this and, and they split into the 300, split into three groups of 100 and they surround the camp and they do, all do this from every side, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then the army is just brought, the enemy army is just in disarray. They start killing one another, they start fleeing, they think that we, we've, been, we've been overcome, we've been defeated. And before anything's happened. In fact, there's, there's not even a sword in hand in Gideon's army at that point. They're crying out a sword for the Lord. They don't have a sword in their hand. They've got a, a, a jar and a torch and a trumpet. Not a single sword in hand. Simple tools. God is using simple tools to overcome mighty armies. They cry out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Again, not a sword in hand. The sword is their word and is the proclamation. And then, wonderfully, and I, I love this, all of those men who had no part in the battle, who were sent away back home, now suddenly are called back and said, let's chase after these guys together. Like the, 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 the enemy has been defeated, now come and enjoy this victory with me, even though you've not earned it. And that's just such a picture of us and Christ. Like we, we have not won the victory. Jesus did. Jesus was the one who overcame sin, overcame death. And he says, right, now that the battle has been won, come with me and enjoy the spoils of the war. Come with me and take hold of the riches of the enemy army. He's the one who's overcome. He's the one who who put his life on the line. He's the one who fought the battle. We were sent back home because we couldn't do it, because we were afraid. And then Jesus says, come join me as we take hold of these as we take hold of these riches together. I'm going to finish there. There's more I could say, but I just want to finish there. But I'd just love us to respond. Um, would you stand with me actually? Let's, we'll pray and then, um, and then we'll just respond. Um, I feel like two things I want to highlight. You know, we said a lot, but the two things I really want to highlight are you know, maybe there are people here who who really need to 
uh, receive that strength. Um, you know, you're feeling weak. You're feeling weak and foolish and silly and that it feels like that, that vast army is arrayed against you. And you need to be made strong, strong out of weakness, as that writer to the Hebrews says. And then maybe there are others here who feel like they've been going through a bit of that winnowing phase, as God has just been cutting back things that maybe you have lent on that haven't been Him. And I just, and I, the invitation to you is to submit to God in that process, to to lean on Him, to say, Lord. I want to trust you. I don't want to trust in my money or in this thing or in that thing. The Bible says, do not put your trust in princes, but trust in the Lord, who is the creator of heaven and earth. If we sung that song, you know, when I survey, you know, when I, when I, when I look out <laughs> from lofty mountain grandeur, you know, I look out on creation and remember the Lord, trust in him, not in your plans, not in this thing, not in that thing, trust in him. So those two invitations to ask God, come and make me strong in my weakness and to submit to God as he works in you to show you just how weak you are and just how needy you are of him and just draws you closer and closer to lean on him, to trust in him. So Lord Jesus, we, just, we want to just uh, rest in you in both of those things. God, we thank you that you are so committed to us. Lord, so committed to us that you are willing to work in us and through us despite our weakness. And Lord, we thank you. Even, in, even though it's a hard process for us, we thank you that you are willing even to cut away from our life in order to make us more dependent on you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that in Freedom Church, continue to do that uh, in me and in my friends here. Lord, we invite it and Lord, we submit to that process. But God, we, we just trust that you are sufficient for me and that we would, like Paul, say, Therefore, I boast, I revel in my weakness because God, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Lord Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. And into all the things that we're going into this week, Lord, we pray, use us. Use us like that bread cake to overturn enemies. Amen. Amen.